Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, October 13th, 2023. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me today, I would like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to share their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealthinsights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, the calendar was very light for the week with two important reports that came out just yesterday on Thursday. First, we have the initial unemployment claims that came in at 209,000 for the week ending October 7th, which was exactly the same as the week prior ending September 30th. So according to these indicators, the job market continues to remain resilient. In addition, also yesterday, inflation, as measured by the Consumer Price Index, or CPI, for September, came in exactly the same as August at 3.7% year-over-year. While core CPI, excluding food and energy, came in at 4.1% for September, slightly lower than August report at 4.3% year-over-year. However, the shelter number of inflation, which is a significant portion of overall CPI, stayed high and came in at 7.2% year-over-year for September, slightly below the August number of 7.3%. Again, staying higher than expected and also came in hotter than estimates. So when the inflation read comes in hotter than expected and hotter than estimates, it actually reminds me a little bit of a Nashville hot chicken sandwich, which surprises you a little bit because you didn't think it would be a little bit hot. That being said, the inflation numbers certainly have an implication for overall Federal Reserve policy in the interest rates for the November and December meeting. We also had the Federal Open Market Committee meeting minutes released this week from their September 20th meeting. So we'll talk about that in our podcast to see what it tells us going forward for additional policy for the remainder of the year and potentially into 2024. So, George, let's start with you in terms of your reaction to some of the CPI data and the Fed minutes and your overall thoughts on where the economy is headed. George? Well, Brian, I think the first thing that I want to mention really quickly is just the, the entire uh, situation in Israel is, uh, is something we should mention very quickly. And frankly, the devastating loss of life that resulted from the um, Hamas attacks is really at the forefront of our concerns. And really, because of that, our thoughts go out to all those who've been impacted by this really terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, I'd note that we're not geopolitical strategists, um, so I'm not going to wade too uh, way too much into that discussion around the geopolitical considerations. But I wouldn't be surprised if the impacts from this terrible tragedy are really wide and long-lasting. I also don't want to appear cavalier or callous when we talk about these events or the market response to this. But since this is kind of a, a market-oriented podcast, and this is our mandate, and people, frankly, are listening to get our thoughts on market reactions, we'll focus on that for uh, for this morning. You know, I think it's kind of interesting thus far, the global markets, um, the global equity markets uh, are slightly higher since the uh, the attacks first took place. Bond yields are down a little bit and oil prices are up slightly. And then if you look back historically, Brian, I think historically speaking, uh, some of these major geopolitical events 
have seen sharp corrections in equity markets, but they've been pretty short-lived. And they follow, um, uh, they usually follow with, with pretty rapid recoveries. So on average, looking back, global equity markets have declined around 10% shortly after one of these events takes, uh, takes place. Uh, and then the recoveries usually follow uh, pretty shortly thereafter. Usually this is a period of weeks and months uh, before markets are kind of fully recovered. So markets have a way of looking through these events as terrible as they may be, they seem, uh, and really try to process the fact that these are somewhat isolated um, at the time once we kind of get these, these moments behind us. I do think, again, this is going to be one of these things that's pretty long lasting. And certainly I want to acknowledge the fact that certain events like this can really aggravate the overall economic environment. But ultimately, I think a lot depends on really the scale and duration of some of these conflicts overall. So it's kind of curious to me, Steve, if I think about what's happened recently, I mentioned energy prices are up a little bit. You know, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword in the sense that you could probably see some inflationary impact from this, but at the same time, it could dampen demand if energy prices stay higher for longer. I'd also note that it seems like we, the United States as a country, are less dependent upon outside energy sources than we were 50 years ago. And maybe there's even a friendlier relationship between Israel and other countries in the Middle East. So what's your take really quickly on the energy market reaction to what's happened in the last week or so? Sure, George. Well, I mean, I think that we've seen oil move up this week and we're going to right now we're trading roughly where we opened at the beginning of the week. So we've been back and forth around this $85 area. And keep in mind when we came into this, uh, we were in the low 80s, having pulled back from about 95. So uh, we haven't even gone back to the levels that we saw at the end of September. I mean, you know, it's um, uh, just to just to put it out there, you know, the mark the market is kind of a, a, a ha the market has a cold heart is is what the the saying is in the in the in the the markets and that means the market's job is to take a look at all the situation is 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 as nasty and horrible as it is and and try to boil it down to what 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 does it mean for the economy does it mean the Fed is going to be more likely to uh, be uh, not raising rates, or are they going to be cutting sooner? What does it mean for the supply of oil? Israel's not a major oil supplier. Does it mean uh, there's if it spreads wider, uh, is there an impact if, for example, Iran was involved and and then uh, you know the the U.S. and others decide to get involved and and maybe it takes that production off the market? But the market also is looking at that and thinking, hmm, you know, a year ago. Uh, somebody who produces way more oil than Iran, namely Russia, got involved in Ukraine, um, and we didn't see oil go to $150 a barrel then. Uh, so I, I think the market has kind of gotten again, kind of callous to the to this. In, from the standpoint of it, it sees the potential impacts. I mean, unless this spills over and, and somehow ends up creating a a very large regional conflict that pulls in power blocks from around the world. I, I, I think that the, the market's reaction to this has been pretty rational, which is uh, the impacts are are going to be fairly well contained. Um, and and again, you know, wh whether uh, the, whether we're um, you know going to see anything spread wider, that's a, that's a question that that is still open to to being answered, quite frankly. It's too soon to know. So I, I would think the overall message is that we wouldn't want to de-risk portfolios. You know, we wouldn't want to be taking down risk in general, given the fact that this this conflict and this situation is really very uncertain, and and it's going to probably stay that way for a while. How it evolves is also uncertain, and also again, typically as you mentioned, these geopolitical events are are somewhat short-lived. And so instead, I would probably really urge, urge people to rely on diversification. 
uh, and really focus on fundamentals such as economic conditions and earnings. So on that front, Steve, on the earnings side, we've started to see a few companies report earnings for the recent end of quarter. Anything you can glean from that thus far? Earnings have been coming in in pretty good shape, George. I mean, it's probably surprising for a lot of folks, but you know, we've we are not seeing uh, numbers come down. Um, and you know, as we look forward into 2024, um, you know, I'm I'm sitting here right now staring at at the 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 forward 12 month earnings line for the S&P 500, and it, it made another high for the year yesterday. Right? It's it's closing in on $238. I think I've mentioned on this call before, I, I think that 240, maybe 240 plus is where we're going to exit the year. That would be another all-time high for earnings. And when you think about where stock prices typically go over time, they tend to follow earnings. So uh, again, uh, the numbers for next year have, have been really strong in terms of not being marked down by, uh, by analysts. Uh, and unless we get some kind of a a real negative shock. Um, it, it seems like the, the the earnings numbers for next year are, are they, we're going to exit this year with expectations that they're going to be pretty good. Um, you know, I I've been positing lately, George. Maybe maybe we're headed into a period of time where uh, where people really don't uh, are not familiar with, and that's kind of this inflationary boom kind of scenario where growth is really strong on a nominal basis, but inflation runs hotter than what people expect. And when you're in an inflationary boom period, it doesn't mean stocks have to perform poorly because inflation is is running hot or because interest rates are high. You're in an inflationary boom. There's a word at the end of that, it's called boom, right? I mean, it means growth is really, really strong. And if that's the case, um, it, it bodes well for stocks. Well, we've seen that in the Atlanta Fed uh, survey that we look at from time to time, that GDP Now forecast, which I think just uh, kind of wrapped up their kind of period of time where they look at the recent quarter. And yeah, it looks like the boom, if you look at that chart, would suggest that GDP is running closer to what, four or 5%, which would be pretty, uh, pretty amazing considering three months ago, people thought the, um, the number would be close to zero. But um, I guess, it, and you're right, it probably, it probably would be good for stocks. I think it might be more challenging for bonds, however. Um, and again, we've seen probably a lot of more, we've seen more volatility in the bond market, it seems like this year regime. And, and now we've got the Fed trying to suggest that maybe their work is done. But, but if that, um, that boom takes place, how do you think that sets up for the fixed income markets? Uh, well, you're right, George. I mean, the fixed income markets have seen some volatility uh, in the last uh, several weeks, uh, but uh, really pronounced this week, uh, you know, the horrible events over the weekend uh, did play a part in uh, a run for safety haven assets. So we did see treasuries rally when we started the week off. Uh, but then uh, we kind of gave up a lot of that too. If you look at uh, credit spreads, investment grade spreads on the week uh, are fairly unchanged. I don't think they've even moved. And if you look at high yield spreads, they're only wider by three basis points. So the market has somewhat uh, you know, moved past uh, some of the volatility that we've seen in the market, some of the expected volatility that we've seen but you know, uh, you know, there's been this, uh, you know, geopolitical tensions. Uh, you know, immediately, I think the the consensus on the market was that the Fed would be done because of the geopolitical uh, situation, and the Fed would not raise rates, even though they penciled in one more rate hike for the year. So that was pretty much the 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 theme throughout the week and the tone of the market throughout the week. However, we had a CPI report that was higher than expected, and in turn, it was viewed bearish by the fixed income investors. We saw the immediate impact on the yield curve where rates moved higher. Uh, the sentiment is that, okay, the CPI report was hotter than expected, and it puts the Fed back into play for another rate hike this year. 
something that the market has all but discounted over the past week. So specifically, uh, if you look at the two-year treasury note yield, which is the most sensitive to monetary policy, that CPI report put the two-year firmly above 5%. And, uh, and I think we're going to stay there for a little bit. Uh, another piece of data that we had this week was the FOMC minutes. And again, that also played a factor into how the market uh, responded to the FOMC minutes from the September FOMC meeting. If you parse through those minutes, the Fed has penciled in one more rate hike. Uh, they feel that inflation remains problematic. Even as the Fed is viewing the current state of the economy as neutral, uh, the Fed still thinks that inflation is the issue here. And uh, so that kind of puts the odds of another rate hike by the end of the year, uh, it, those odds have increased uh, just in the last two days. Uh, so those odds are now around 50%. So it's basically a coin flip of whether we have another rate hike this year or not. As I mentioned before on these calls, uh, 525 basis points, what's another 25 basis points? The market's already probably put that into their odds of uh, whether where rates are right now. All said and done, however, uh, my expectation is that the yield curve is going to continue to steepen. And then, as you mentioned on volatility, George, uh, adding to all the market's unease right now, there was a spike in the move index. The move index is a measure of the bond market volatility. The move index surged more than 140 points this month. That's the highest level that we've seen since May. And again, that shows the underlying uncertainty that bond investors have right now with the market. Uh, we've talked about the pace at which rates have moved higher. And I think it's really caught a lot of investors off guard. They don't like to play in a market where we're moving, where things are moving so fast. They look at the volatility index, they look at volatility in the market, and investors are kind of staying on the sidelines here and, and trying to find an entry point uh, to maybe add duration. But as we've mentioned before, the duration trade has been the pain trade over the last one month and continue to feel that uh, with the volatility right now, there will be uh, more headwinds at the bond market basis. So I think if we kind of put all that together, it suggests us again that this this the situation that's really kind of happening right in front of our eyes suggests that you really want to stay diversified across geographies, frankly, and across different strategies, uh, and kind of really be open to different considerations what it means for for things economically. And again, I think the fundamentals will win out at the end of the day, uh, and for that reason, diversification I think will also be the winning strategy over the long run too. Well, thank you for the conversation today, George, Steve, and Rajiv. We appreciate your insights as always, and thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. 
Investments in insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decision. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.